Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. And welcome to episode 305 of the Talking Chop Podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, on a Sunday evening in mid-September, and I'm joined for what I would describe as probably like a semi-annual visit by Zach Dillard of Bally Sports South. Is that, is that correct? Is it Bally, Bally Sports South? Zach, is that where you are now? Bally Sports South, semi-annual visit. It all checks out. That all, uh, that all makes sense. Uh, I decided to give Scott and Eric the night slash week off, and Zach... It was long overdue. Uh, I was saying before we started recording, I haven't seen Zach in a long time, which is a little bit strange, but we'll fix that in the near future. And it was time to talk about, uh, about some Braves stuff with you because it's been pretty interesting, all things considered. Uh, never a dull moment with this team this year. Um, I, I guess I'll ask you this. Is that sort of track? Because I read a tweet the other day, and I can't remember who sent it now, but it was basically like this entire Brave season has been them kind of making everybody crazy. And then they also had like one two-week hot streak, and here we are. Yeah, uh, I would say that while it is an incredible downgrade from Scott and Eric, and I apologize for that, for everyone, with the semi-annual visits, it's funny because I'm terrified to know what I said last time because so much has changed. I'm sure I was wrong about absolutely everything that we talked about uh, earlier in the season because this team has just done a complete 180. Um, But yes, I mean, it's been a roller coaster. Even the wins feel like, you know, you have heart palpitations throughout they've just been playing a bunch of nail biters but um you know you look at this season and if you pay attention at all and i think sometimes we overestimate it but if you pay attention at all to run differential this was always the best team in the nl east and you know looking it up before i came on here the last team that didn't win uh that that won its division with a negative run differential would have been the 2007 diamondbacks and that's how this team has been when you look at the rest of this NL East. Uh, no one else has really run away with the division. The Braves were always uh, seemed like the best group, but they just could never put it together. And I do feel like when Ronald went down, I was probably in the majority of uh, everyone else thinking that the season was probably going to go in the wrong direction. But here we are talking about a team that's four and a half games up. Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, you could certainly debate, and maybe we could do that, about how good this team actually is at the moment. We all know that they're better now than they were a couple of months ago because of the, the holes that were plugged and the talents better than it is, uh, I would say better now than it was you know, pre-deadline. But like you said, it's also a product of 
the rest of the division has not been very good this year. In fact, the Mets uh, currently have a negative four run differential, and they're uh, they're in second place. The Braves are plus 100. So that's a very large gap. Even over a long season, that's a very large gap in run differential, and the Braves are the best team. Um, hopefully, you know, knock on wood, they are able to hold on to this thing. We'll talk about that probably at the, at the end of the podcast. They had, they had this four-and-two week. They now lead by four-and-a-half games. And, you know, they've had some defensive issues this week, a couple of, like, high-profile, like, would-be double plays that didn't happen. There was a booted sack bunt today on Sunday that led to some runs and some peril. But like you said, like, the heart palpitations and things, they were still able to win the the weekend series. And uh, the sort of finale today on Sunday was uh, broken open by Ozzy and Freddie, two of their, you know, four guys who have been awesome this year, basically hitting home runs in succession to give them the go-ahead runs that led to the win. So it's like a, uh, you know, it's like kind of an emblem of the, of the rest of the uh, season so far, I suppose. Anything stand out to you this weekend that, you sh- that we should talk about? I, I tend to try to go away from results when I have guests on the podcast, but if there's anything that you want to talk about from, from this week in particular, feel free. Like, I noticed that Ian Anderson was good, and that was good because I was worried about him. Uh, that's one thing that I want to at least mention out loud. But anything stand out to you the last couple of days? Yeah, if Ian Anderson would have not struck a guy out for, like, the third straight start, I think that would have been a huge problem yes. uh, for this team. No, I, I think, honestly, the one thing that, I'll say in a very top-down perspective uh, is just the fact that the Braves are taking care of business against teams they should. And that's something that they did uh, in their previous division title winners. They seemed to, you know, if they were playing sub-500 teams, they were taking the series. They were sweeping the series. And I think the best-case scenario, obviously, is that 9-0 road trip that they went on. But even this past week where it seems like nothing seemed to go right, a bunch of you know, especially Thursday night, that that 10 inning game against Washington that went back and forth. Uh, things could have really gone south in a number of ways against the Nationals and the Marlins this week. But at the end of the day, you look you look up and like you said, they're four and two out of the week. They won both series. And then you look across at the rest of the division and the Phillies are not taking care of business yet again. And then you walk out of this week with a four and a half game lead. And it wasn't a great road trip when they had to go out west. It was a tough road trip. But at that's what a lot of their division title winners were built off of is taking care of that business against bad teams. And that's kind of been the mantra that we've been looking at uh, over the last few years, Um, you know, good or bad, this team, the depth that it seems to really, it seems to really like uh, after the trade deadline, Alex Anthopoulos seems to make some good moves, but also like as, as teams start to take some hits and injuries, uh, the depth has really just been playing out for this team year after year since 2018. Yeah, that's that's about right. I mean, between uh, I believe it's still National League RBI leader Adam Duvall, who's like a fourth, <laughs> a fourth outfitter on this team right now. All this uh, all this craziness. But uh, I should ask you about the new. It's been a few days now, so I'm not going to spend too much time on this. But uh, Charlie Morton's extension happened since my last podcast appearance, and it's kind of funny. And Scott and I took credit for this in a kind of tongue in cheek way. But we talked about Morton a lot last week and talked about his extension possibilities and how, how he's been awesome and all this stuff. And then of course the Braves just signed him to an extension. Now. He is on the older side. I personally kind of enjoyed seeing that deal. It's it's relatively low risk. I mean, it's, an, it's another year. It's $20 million. It's a lot of money. But for what he has been, that's not a lot of money. So um, what was your reaction when you saw the Charlie Morton news come across, even if it was a few days ago? I mean, does age apply to Charlie Morton? Maybe not. I mean, he's one of the few guys that's older than me. And if you're older than me, you're kind of <laughs> old at this point. But uh, Charlie's still hanging on, apparently. No, it's crazy because his, his career uh, is a – is a Benjamin Button situation where, you know, you look at, you know, early on when he's with the Braves, when he's with the Pirates, he didn't seem to really get things going until he got to Houston. But ever since he got 
uh, to the Astros and then moved on to the Rays and now the Braves. Uh, over the past five years, Charlie Morton's a top 10-ish pitcher in all of baseball. And the biggest reason for that is he has the best curveball in all of baseball at his age, what was it, 35 season uh, in 2019, age 36, a little bit down. Uh, and then, of course, his age 37 season again this year, him and it's basically uh, Urias uh, with the Dodgers have the best curveball yet again in baseball. And it's just it's it's incredible to see because usually you you do see that drop off in stuff as guys get into their upper 30s. And we're just not seeing that from from Charlie. And, you know, you look at this year, he's around a four win pit, a four war pitcher, if you will. Uh, wins are what they are. Um, but uh, it, it's, you know, a sub three ERA. You look at that guy on a, or I'm sorry, a sub three five ERA, but you look at that guy on the open market. Um, if you just like put blinders on with the age, easily a $20 million pitcher and he's getting a huge deal. Um, the only reason that he's sticking around at this is that I think Charlie was wondering if he was coming back. Um, but I, you know, I remember the day after he signed uh, talking to some media and I think Charlie's looking at the same numbers that we are. And he was like, how can I walk away when I'm, almost literally at the top of my game. I mean, it, it, it may not be what he was doing in the playoffs for the Astros, but I mean, he is pitching at a, at a, at a near elite level at 37. And I think he wants to see what he can do at 38. And right now with this Braves team, they are just loaded depth wise. I think it's a pretty smart move. They obviously have some money coming off the books. Um, the big, you know, elephant in the room, every time an extension comes down, almost to the to the point of exhaustion is the Freddie Freeman deal. But <laughs> um, but Charlie Morton's playing. He's pitching at an elite level. And if he can keep spinning that curveball like this, I see no reason why this deal should really go that far south for the Braves. Yeah, I'm going to ask you about Freddie in a second. Um, but on Morton, I think you summed that up very well. I mean, even this year, he's been a top 10 pitcher in the National League. And, you know, $20 million, I know there's that sticker price, that sticker shock for some people. I always see it on Twitter. Even now, like... $20 million, that's that's so much money. It's, it's really not, especially on a one-year contract um, for what he's giving you. And you mentioned it, but just, just to put some numbers on it, um, since the start of 2017, he is ninth among Major League Baseball starters in Fangraph's war. So basically, he's a top-ten pitcher in the majors over the last four-plus seasons, has a low threes ERA for that length of time. And, uh, yeah, he's just been lights out. And obviously – things can change between now and the season. Like, you know, I guess there is a little bit of downside. Anytime you take on uh, an extension on the team side, you know, a few months before the end of the season, there's a little bit of risk. But I think that's probably mitigated by him um, sticking around. And also the club option. I mean, I guess he could, he could, he could just retire at some point because that, that's, I guess that's, that's the, th the one threat that Charlie might have is just retirement. Um, but as long as he's pitching this well, and he seems to like it in Atlanta, that's one of the places that he was reportedly – only considering basically um, coming back to and pitching, um, and I think that's probably part of part of this mix too. I mean, have you heard, have you heard the same thing? I feel like it was going to be Braves or maybe retirement at this point in time for Morton. Yeah, it seemed like Braves or retirement. I think he does still live in the Tampa area, and I know the Rays were uh, around in that mix. But yeah, I mean, they famously it, had that option that they declined on him for reasons I'm not really sure why. Still, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it it certainly. I mean, it's worked out for Tampa too. They seem to just yeah, have, a, have a have a rotating uh, list of guys they can throw in there, even when they lose someone like Glasnow. But like, yeah, I mean, it, it it is crazy what he's doing. I mean, we just we see this less and less. And uh, you know, a guy that's 37 years old, you know, pitching like a top 10 pitcher um, in, in all of baseball, not really just the, not really just the National League. 
but I mean, he is up there and I know we can look at some guys like Adam Wainwright that are kind of doing the same things this year. But um, I think last year was, and maybe, you know, the Rays have some, some reason for this just because 2020 was such a weird year for so many different, for so many different reasons, but the 60 game season, like I, I had questions coming into it. Like how much does he still have left in the tank? And I think even coming out of, what was it, April or May, uh, it was, you know, you're getting some solid starts, but Charlie Morton kind of looked like one of those uh, veteran placeholder pitchers uh, that they had brought in for, you know, ever since uh, memory serves 2015, 2016. Um, But he hasn't been. He's been uh, really a lockdown guy. They really needed him when Max Fried wasn't that guy early on in the season. And now that, you know, Fried's kind of back up and running, uh, you know, this year, you know, assuming they, you know, do make it into the playoffs, I think they have a nice one-two punch, um, you know, and we can talk about who that third punch would be, but I think you have to feel pretty good about Freed and Morton if you do find yourself in a playoff series. Yeah, I, uh, I totally agree. And uh, I'm going to ask about some baseball stuff. Uh, it's coming, I promise, but I did promise to ask about <laughs> Freeman. So uh, there was some reporting this week, I believe it was John Heyman, talking about a gap between the Braves and Freeman. And uh, the quote was, in the tweet at least, was, free agency appears a surprisingly strong possibility, end quote. Now, obviously, that's that's one source, not my favorite one, candidly. I'll speak to myself and not you on this one, Zach. Um, but... No, you can throw me in there. Okay, that's fine. Uh, I just wanted, I didn't want to throw you under the bus if, if that was the case. Um, me and John don't always get along, and he famously yelled at me on Twitter once. Um, regardless, I've kind of been skeptical. I know there's been some corners of Braves land that are like blindly like assuming he's going to come back, and even after the Charlie extension happened, there was a lot. There was a, a whole round of well, this definitely means the Braves are going to sign Freeman. I'm not quite there. I may, maybe it indicates that it's more likely um, that maybe they have some money to spend, and they do have some money to spend, I would say, with the uh, the attendance back up and all those things. But uh, where's your head at with this? Like, it's obviously a little bit strange that in mid-September he is not signed, and when the face of the franchise, so to speak, has you know he's been your guy for a decade now, is you know three weeks potentially from free agency. Obviously, they're hoping it's longer than that, but uh, a lot of uncertainty here. Definitely uncertainty. I did kind of laugh at the report, if we are going down that road, uh, that there's a gap because if there wasn't, we already would have heard an, an announcement. Yeah, br- br- breaking news, there is a gap. Uh, <laughs> breaking yeah, news. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Agreed. No, I mean, I think there's uh, I think there's reason to at least speculate if it's definitely not 100%. And if it, if it, if it was 100%, again, that, that gap or that announcement would have already... Uh, been eliminated and and subsequently been made uh, in Alex Anthopoulos be trotting out, you know, a guy that is going to be a cornerstone for this franchise for another five to seven, eight years. I, I, I could speculate on what the year and cost would be, but, um, you know, the fact of the matter is that Freddie really helped himself after that MVP season. Um, he came out of that MVP season probably thinking that, you know, he was going to get that monster deal and it, you know, it, for, for various reasons, we're still waiting on that news. And, you know, Freddie still calls home California. Um, the California teams are not shy about spending money and they have some really good, you know, really good organizations out there, um, you know, that are at the top of the list in baseball uh, in, in many different ways. Uh, Angels have not been quite as good, but Giants, Padres, Dodgers, all fighting it out in the National League West. And, you know, I think as a as a part of that, you, you your mind kind of goes to um, we've seen some spending sprees from those teams 
looking to push their team over the over the top. So I think there's a lot of there, there's a lot of speculation out there uh, that the Braves are going to have some competition on the open market as they should, because Freddie Freeman's still one of the best hitters in all of baseball. Um, I never really assumed that he was going to replicate what he did last year uh, in a 60 game season when uh, he just tore the cover off the ball, but he's still, um, I think if you eliminate that slow start, it's about what you expect. Uh, another dominant Freddie Freeman season. He's not going to hit 87% above league average, but he's hovering right there around, you know, 50% above the league average uh, hitting the ball. He's going to give you a solid uh, first base defense uh, today just became, this was really surprising to me. He's the first first baseman in franchise history to have three separate 30 home run seasons. Um, that I would not have guessed that. And I guess yeah. it's a, it's a factor of, you know, the Galarragas and the McGriffs of the world that weren't here that long. Um, but, you know, Freddie Freeman is already uh, stamped as a, as a Braves legend. He's going to, you know, be in the Braves Hall of Fame. And, you know, it, it's, it's just a matter of is he going to finish his career here? As he said, for the last four, five, six years, he wants to follow in Chipper's footsteps and retire a Brave. Uh, they, still, they still just need to make that deal happen. Um, but we're still waiting. We are still waiting. We are still waiting. I mean, if I had to guess, I think it's going to get done at some point. Um, but... As I've kind of my my only party line in the entire time has been, I don't care uh, how everyone assumes what it is. If a player hits free agency, and again he is only a couple weeks away from hitting free agency, there becomes some risk at that point that he leaves. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but once that once the uh, sort of the mag uh, what's the uh, the hourglass is turned over, like you know, a team could go crazy and give him four hundred million dollars or something stupid. You know what I mean? Like it's not. Uh, it's not 100% likely that he comes back if he hits Bradency. That's just the reality of the situation. But, I mean, it's kind of remarkable, uh, and we could talk about him forever, but uh, he's been essentially the same hitter, and by that I mean an awesome hitter for, like, I'll say six seasons now. Once the power breakout happened in 2016, he's essentially been the exact same guy, with the, with the exception of last year where he had the awesome the awesome season, MVP-level season. Uh, he's just been, like, remarkably the same guy <laughs> and that's obviously a huge thing uh, in a positive way when you're an all-star when that's what he's been but uh it's kind of it's every time i look at this for more than two seconds it's like oh yeah freddie's just basically a 300 hitter that has a 390 obp and a 500 plus slugging every year with 30 home runs and that's just what he is yep since his breakout season in 2013 the only guys that have been more valuable of course being mike trout mookie betts josh donaldson paul goldschmidt and buster posey and i think a lot of people will look at that that Paul Goldschmidt deal that he signed when he was a little bit older uh, as well, or right around the same age as, as Freddie was, I think it was what five for one thirty. That um, sounds right. Yeah. You know, is that low in today's, in today's market? Um, possibly. Freddie uh, will get, Freddie will get more than that. I'm pretty confident. Yeah, I, I feel pretty confident about that, especially coming off an MVP season and then following it up with yet another, you know, being arguably one of, if not the best players, uh, taking Ronald out of the equation on, you know, what we assume is, you know, kind of looking like it's going to be a division leader, uh, division leader and division winner. So, yeah, I mean, it's going to be more than that, but I think you can kind of look in that realm. Um, I think he's going to want more money. He's going to want a longer, you know, longer term deal. And uh, I don't know. I, I, I really don't. I'm, I'm making a boring podcast guest by not making <laughs> no. some like no one bold knows by making some like super bold prediction about Freddie Freeman. But, um, you know, I will say this just 
it, it does every time these extensions come up, I like to, my mind always goes back to the Braves do have this built in flexibility because of the Ozzy and Ronald deals. Yep. And they are not able to make uh, these types of moves, whether it be Charlie Morton, whether it be Freddie Freeman, uh, if they want to say anywhere near the same, you know, salary, you know, cap number or not even salary cap, but if you want to say it, that same sort of, um, uh, expenditure on your roster, um, you can't do that without paying Ozzy like $2 million this year, which is absurd. Um, so yeah, I mean, they do have that built-in flexibility with a bunch of young guys. You can, I guess you could throw Austin Riley into that mix as well, being on just super cheap, affordable, deals that you can splurge on you know some top guys yeah it turns out locking up two stars in their uh, early 20s to uh far below market contracts is very very helpful uh all right before we get to some actual on-field stuff with zach a word from our sponsors on today's podcast support for this show comes from sylvan learning as a parent you want your child to have every opportunity but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge That takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a... 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. All right, Zach, uh, I'm going to ask you about the bullpen, which is a controversial topic in some circles. I have been yelled at quite a bit for my Will Smith stance. And it's not even that Will Smith is awesome. It's just that I don't think he's as bad as people think that he is. Um, the reactions are always hilarious. Even today, as we're talking, Sunday afternoon, he comes in, leadoff triple in very on-brand, pretty hilarious fashion, and then gets out of it and uh, no damage done. But uh, the panic level when he enters every game at this point is pretty funny. We'll talk about other guys, too, but I want to start with Will Smith. Uh, are you on the frustrated with Will Smith train? Uh, are you uh, on the he's terrible train? Like, what, what is you, uh, what is your, I guess, what, what goes through your mind when Will Smith enters a baseball game right now? Because he's still doing it in the ninth inning every time. This is why I make just a terrible podcast guest, because I'm like, overly rational to the point I'm boring, but That's, it's, it's a little bit of me both. together is the same thing. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's a little bit of both. Will Smith is better than everyone hitting the absolute panic button. He's been very unfortunate this season uh, in various ways where you look at stat cast numbers, whatever it is. And at the same time, uh, those innings are 
it's it's almost unsustainable like <laughs> he he can't he he it is like he is like a magnet and he is the polar opposite of having a clean ninth inning and he allowed two leadoff triples this week that's hard to do <laughs> that leadoff is... triples don't really happen very often like yeah, triples are difficult to have and he had two leadoff triples in a week that is absurd it's just it, it really is absurd and you know you have to monitor this stuff on social and it's just non-stop to the point where i really do feel bad for the guy um but he has been uh he is he has not been your lockdown closer, and I think that so much of um, you know so much of what we think of every single time we get into these situations that the Braves generally have have a have had a pretty solid history with some guys that you know whether it be Kimbrel or even back to Smoltzy like come in shut the door good to go home and you know it's just been a little bit rockier. Um, I have liked the grass is always greener with Mark Melanson because. I remember when he was frustrating fans. Um, and I think more than anything is that uh, as long as you are throwing your best relievers in, uh, in high leverage situations, uh, that is where you want this bullpen to start getting to. And I just, it, that trust level of Will Smith in a one run game is just not there. I think he had a two run cushion today. So you feel a little bit better that if that leadoff triple does come home to roost, you aren't in the worst situation. But um, no, I mean, it, I, I think I think it was Eric that even tweeted this out today of just like wins and saves and just defining, <laughs> just like defining what is a good and bad closer based on those two things or a good, bad closer or a good and bad pitcher based on those two stats is just so we're just so far past that because Will Smith has blown fewer saves than Mark Melanson. He has 32 saves this year. I think he's second in the National League with 32 saves. But it just has been not what you want from a high leverage reliever when he comes into the game. It's just too messy. Yeah, that's that's a good summary of the Will, the Will Smith experience. Like I've I've made fun of the reaction. Like I my, I mean you you know this you you were around this point. The reaction to Will Smith is like when Dan Cole was around, except Dan Cole was actually bad, like actually that bad. Um, and that one season when he was brought into the closer and like was like literally just as bad as anyone could possibly be for like two months and they finally got rid of him. But uh, Will Smith has been both maddening and also not disastrous this season. And it's just like that's a hard conversation to have. And that's why I know we've had it a bunch of times, but I feel like I'm obligated to ask you, particularly because of today. It happened again just a few hours ago, and the triple thing is just so funny. But, uh, yeah, I mean, nobody's comfortable. But I, I will say, as a point of transition, uh, a lot of the outrage, at least some of the outrage that I saw was like, all right, why aren't they closing with Richard Rodriguez? Uh, and then this week was a bad Rich Rod week. Uh, he allowed home runs in three straight games, um, all of them in tie games, too, to give the lead up, and then two on Saturday alone. And that was some, at least on paper and the stats, was some regression coming home to roost because – um, his peripherals have been uh, pretty horrendous with the Braves, and his ERA is still under three with Atlanta, even after four home runs in a week, because he had been sort of walking between raindrops. But uh, his FIP is 6.62, and his XFIP is 6.3 in 20 appearances with the Braves. He has six strikeouts in 19 and two-thirds innings, and that is not exactly a profile of a late-inning reliever. Uh, it's just a very, very, very strange profile, and people don't want to hear that when the results are good and he has an ERA, you know, about one, but now that he's actually had his little blow up, um, that was always kind of coming, um, people are mad again. So 
I, I genuinely don't know what to feel about Richard Rodriguez. I think that was a good trade. They gave up very little, but also like I've been pretty scared about what the reality has been with what he's been able to do so far. Yeah, I mean, if you look at his stat cast numbers, the reality is still a really good relief pitcher. Now, he has been very fortunate. That, that's There's no question about that. Uh, his expected weighted on base average is 47 points higher than what he's been able to put up, than what he's actually getting out there on the field. And that, you're right. So that's been a little bit of a regression this week. But uh, I like relievers missing bats. And if he's yep. not missing bats, that's where, you know, you start to get into a little bit of a, uh, you know, a panic situation, but the fastball has been good. Um, but I think, I think whether it's Rich Rod or anyone else, like I think this team has, they've had just enough in the second half of three or four guys clicking at the same time. Yeah. And I think AJ Minter coming back and being, you know, everything that you were hoping that he would be after what he was able to do in the playoffs. Uh, Tyler Matzik has been very, very good. Um, yet again, and very, very consistent, you know, it's, it's not like he's been extremely lucky or unlucky. Like Tyler Matzik is pretty much who you expect him to be. Um, and even Jacob Webb coming back into this mix and solidifying a little bit of, uh, this bullpen, I think they have enough arms. It's just a matter of, you know, who, who is getting the ball when it matters most. And I don't think it's been as noticeable that it's the wrong guys at the wrong times here in the second half. And maybe it's just that maybe it's just a, a factor of they have more guys clicking. So it doesn't feel like anybody's a wrong choice. Even when Jesse Chavez is coming out and putting up like, you know, crazy numbers out of nowhere. He has um, a sub two ERA with the Braves, by the way. It's, it's absurd. Like, yeah. I, like good for him. Honestly, like that just, I would never have in my wildest dreams expected that out of him this year, but uh, yeah, teams are just not lining him up either. So um, whether it's – is it Rich Rod? Is it is it Luke Jackson? Is it A.J. May? I mean, Luke Jackson runs into some messy situations too, but but Luke misses a lot of bats. Um, you know, is it – I think Matzik might be your clubhouse favorite in terms of production, fan favorite. Everybody seems to like Matzik um, yeah. as, that, as that guy in the biggest spots. But if – here's the problem though. Matzik is used in so many big spots in those high leverage spots that maybe aren't a save or not a save, but you're up one run and the bases are loaded with one out in the seventh inning. Um, and Matzik gets you out of it to preserve the lead. Um, that's where, you know, if him not being the quote closer frees him up to still be doing that stuff, I think, I think that's still the right call. I don't know where you're at on that. Oh yeah. I mean, I think you and I have talked about this for, for years, basically of, you know, your best reliever should be the guy coming in in that, in that situation. And it goes against the save rule. It goes against the traditional archetype of that. And I think that, you know, Snicker does manage as a save rule. Like, he does have a designated closer. Will Smith has just been the ninth inning guy this year, and that's what he's been. Um, but, you know, if it works out to where you're using what probably – well, maybe – at least maybe is your best guy in Matzik in high leverage spots, you know, that there's worse outcomes than that. Because often the ninth inning is not the, high, not the highest leverage spot. It's just not always the case. So, yeah, if you trust – like you said, three or four guys at the same time, and they have the available arms. I mean, between Smith and if you trust Rodriguez, if you trust Luke or Matzik or Minter, Webb, like you said, it's been good. By the way, Webb's not a lot of run, I think, in the last 10 appearances. Uh, Minter, Minter has a low two easy right since he came back from uh, from his stint away in like early August. So like their bullpen has been a reason why they've been 
better um, in the last, you know, two months or so. I guess maybe a month and a half at this point. But, yeah, it's, uh, they don't have the definite, like, hierarchy that you might prefer. That, like, it's just, like, set it and forget it where you have, you know, Venters and then Kimbrel or, like, O'Flaherty, Venters, and Kimbrel, three, three innings in a row. But they do have a bunch of, like, pretty good, pretty reliable guys. I mean, I'm not going to make you rank them, but it's, like, almost a sliding scale of who I trust in that moment. And I think Will Smith is higher for me than it is for other people. But the good thing is they don't have a lot of disasters in the bullpen right now. I mean, uh, Newcomb's gotten a lot of punches thrown in his way and with good reason. And, you know, Tomlin before he went in the I.L. was pretty bad. But, like, between all the guys we just named, Webb, Chavez, Matzik, uh, Jackson, Rodriguez, Minter, uh, and Smith, of course, like they have a bunch of guys that are at least passable. And that's honestly a, a pretty solid point um, in the regular season especially is, like, just don't have any bad relievers. And they don't have a – I mean, they have a, they pretty much have like one at a time this year, and that's okay. Yeah. You, you, can, you can get by with that. Yeah, and I think one thing I've always thought about too is like, and I'd be curious where you're at on this. How much of, how much of Snicker, almost like, you know, consistently and to the point where it probably seems like from the outside looking in, stubbornly, going to Will Smith over and over and over is, is like him just planning for, like we are we are going to need this guy if we want to do things in the postseason, like we, we need ah. him to be right. And I can't just bury this guy who we are, by the way, paying a lot of money to be a star. Reliever. I was going to say that that's, that's, <laughs> that's part of it, but also it's a good question that you're posing. But my, my thing is uh, Smith hasn't been bad enough like results wise for Snicker to take him out. Like knowing the way Snicker thinks and he's, he clearly prefers to have a designated ninth inning guy. He just, he definitely does. That's there's evidence of that for years now. And while Smith has been an adventure, his ERA is like in the mid threes for the season. Like he's not been bad enough. I don't think I've said a few times, like he was probably like one or two blowups away from maybe having a question mark, but until and hopefully, if you're a Braves fan, and he won't ever do this, but until he blows two or three in a row, I think he's just going to stay there. And that's just—I mean, he's a veteran, like like you just said, he's highly paid veteran. Um, he's their biggest name by far in that bullpen in terms of just like you know length of service and all that stuff. I, I just think that it's a little bit of Snickers old school preferences. It's a little bit of he probably thinks that Smith's good, uh, the money, and also just like stubbornness of like he hasn't pitched his way out of it yet. Something like that. I don't know. Yeah, that's that's basically where I'm at. Is that, um, you know, they they put a lot of stock into we'll call it the back of a baseball card. Is that this guy? You know, I hear this so much when I when I you know listen to to old school old school guys or interviews or anything. Just like the ninth inning is different, and as someone who has never pitched in a professional game, I can't tell you whether that's true or not. Um, but they certainly subscribe to that. Um, and I think there is that comfort level knowing that Will Smith has has been doing this for a while in San Francisco and now in Atlanta. Um, and they they just rely on him quite a bit. Um, and I, I don't I, I'm with you. I don't think it's as disastrous as everybody has made it out to be. But uh, I am right there with the rest of uh, the crew that it is <laughs> it is not, uh, you know, as I'm sitting there, you know, waiting to see how I'm going to cover this game. Uh, am I going to be sending out stuff for wins or losses when you're when you're on the fence uh, there in the ninth inning? It's not fun, and I do feel bad. Well, I never feel bad for the writers anymore, but like uh, <laughs> I I do feel bad for anyone that's on deadline 
uh, when when those ninth innings are unfolding. Yeah, the the comfort level is not overly high. Even I will admit that is I think I've painted myself as a Will Smith defender, but I will certainly say it's not always uh, the trust level is not always high. Um, <laughs> quickly, I want to ask you about about MVP stuff in a second, but uh, quickly on Dansby Swanson, who uh, in his trademark fashion had his cool off stretch. Dansby has been. Uh, famously streaky in his career and has had a bunch of hot streaks this year. He's actually been quite good. Um, finally got a day off on Friday. He was leading baseball in Major League Baseball, not even just the National League, entire, the entire league in games played. Now he's just tied for the lead. But he had one night off on Friday, and uh, even with that, he is now three of his last 35 at the plate. He did have two walks today on Sunday, but he's struggling, uh, and that was probably foreseeable given his um, history. He's still a 3-1 player for the season. Like He's done a very, very good job, and he's been their fourth-best player offensively throughout the year, basically. But uh, is this just Dansby being Dansby? Anything to worry about? Or like is this just who he's always going to be? I, I, don't, I, don't know, I don't really know where I stand, but it was like I'm not surprised that he's had a bad couple of weeks now. No, it, he's, he's streaky. I mean, there's no question about it. And... Um... I think there, his offensive profile, you see a lot of good and you see a lot of concern. Um, you know, the, the power surge is, is great for this team. And, you know, especially after they lost Ronald, uh, they needed to fill those gaps. And obviously they did with like 18 outfielders at the trade deadline. But Dansby helped uh, really uh, to solidify that. But, I mean, the OBP is not there at all for what you would think for, you know, a guy that, you know, has that power, has that gap to gap power goes opposite when he's right. He goes like right center really well. Um, you just would assume with a guy like him, like he wouldn't be hovering at this 310. Uh, you mentioned he walked a couple times. I think he's at like 311 now, but like, yeah, I mean, it, the walk rates down. Uh, luckily the strike rate is down. Strikeout rate is down for him this year. Um, he's just a really solid, he's just a really solid player. And I think if, um, I think if you look at, you know, his numbers over the course of the season in totality, he's about what you would expect. Like his stat cast numbers are almost like flat, like it's expected numbers and his actual numbers are almost dead even. Um, but he, he just, uh, he goes on these streaks and, you know, I think last night uh, it was either Brian Jordan or Nick Green or mentioning that he's starting to open up that front hip again. You know, anytime I hear from professional hitters, like that's the big thing that, uh, Dansby does when he's in a slump, you can tell he, uh, he really flies open a lot. And I think I saw that once it was mentioned to me, uh, last night, uh, and he's just in one of those funks. But then again, we know that he might go on a road trip and have, you know, have a series where he hits four home runs and he's back up and rolling again. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it's just a, it's a function of it, it's, it's not the profile that you would want, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, streaky power. But when he's on, he can carry you for a couple series. And I think we saw that. Uh, I think it was during that nine in a row trip. He just went crazy. Um, and it, it, I think it's just a, a, a part of who he is now. But you would certainly hope that you would have that consistency. And I think as you get into the playoffs, you're hoping that you catch him at the right time and at the wrong time. Uh, but the good news is he always seems to you know, be pretty locked in defensively. Uh, really saved them last night with one of the yep. – the weirdest and craziest double plays you'll see this year. Um, no, he's a, he's a really solid player. You mentioned a three-word player that's great for Dansby. But um, I don't really – it's just – maybe we're just accustomed to it. Um, you know, I was, I was talking with Grant McCauley uh, before the season. We were wondering if we could call Dansby's 60-game season a breakout season because he was really great last year. 
Um, and I think in many ways he is, he's lived up to, you know, the fact that it was a bit of a breakout for him. And if he goes and puts out a 30 home run season and gets to, you know, three and a half, uh, wins for the year. Um, I think you again have a, that's, that's a pretty good guy to be batting fifth, sixth for you, um, at the shortstop position at a premium spot. Yeah. I think that realistically I would have taken this, the full season production so far for Dansby, you know, again, with 20 games to go, you just take it and run if you're the Braves. Preseason, I would have said, absolutely, sign me up for whatever he is, you know, 102 WRC plus with plus defense and playing every day. Like, that's a huge win for what, number one, beyond what you're paying him, like just having that guy in the role at a premium spot, like you just said, is valuable. Yeah, it's it's a little bit maddening, because but that's just my, he's just, he's just streaky. It is, it is what it is. And, um, you know, the highs have been higher than the lows have been, which is good. And last year, I think was a knock on wood, I think, probably qualifies as a breakout. I don't think you can like assume he's going to be, you know, 116 WRC plus guy all the time, but the power, I mean, the home run power in particular is, you know, I didn't expect him to hit close to 30 home runs this year by any means. So, uh, you know, maybe some sacrifices elsewhere in his profile, but I always want to bring it up because we, I've, we tried to praise him when he's been good. Um, I saw some, you know, grumbling this week because he, again, he's three for his last 35. That's what's going to happen. But I just want to at least mention him because it's a roller coaster and uh, that's for, that's uh, foreseeable, but he's also been, I would say capital G good this year, which is very helpful. Um, speaking of guys who've been good, uh, Austin Riley has been awesome. I will say he's been a little bit more human the last like two weeks. He's still been fine, but he's not been tearing the cover off the ball. And the reason why I'm bringing it up now is, uh, I mean, he's been consistently praised the last several podcasts, but uh, there was a notion. I was asked about this a couple times about his MVP candidacy and my stock answer a week or two ago even was like, if he continues to be as hot as he's been for five more weeks, he can win. Um, he's not been that hot. Um, and I think he's not probably going to win MVP, but uh, there's been a lot of talk about Austin Riley MVP. And um, honestly, I, I'm, actually, I'm just going to say, I was going to say this for the end, but I'll say it now. Uh, I looked up the odds for MVP just before we started recording on FanDuel. That's just, that was a random book. So there you go. But they were live odds. Uh, Freddie Freeman is number three in the NL MVP odds right now. Austin Riley is not in the top seven. Um, mm. And those are betting odds, but uh, part of my framing to you would actually have just been, is Austin Riley the team MVP before we get to NL MVP? But I wonder how you stand on this because there was uh, definitely a groundswell of Riley MVP buzz that I think hasn't been quite as hot the last couple of weeks, but was certainly peaking at one point. Yeah, I, I think you can look at it from... I think what people do, if you watch day-to-day the Braves, you can see where, you know, folks are coming from when they're talking about Austin being this team MVP. He was the most consistent, take away, a, you know, a couple weeks slow start. That's not how total MVP races work. But yeah. uh, in, in general, <laughs> uh, you know, the only person that really started fast for this Braves team was Ronald. Everyone else uh, was really terrible. Um, but... Austin has been a really solid player. I think I think what's interesting about looking at his like advanced numbers and you know whether it be war or anything else, um, I'm curious about his defensive numbers because I think watching him, uh, he 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 grades out as like a better defensive player uh, than he, he gets credit for. It's um, really it's really fascinating. I mean the defensive stuff between like Statcast and Fangraphs and like there are three different 
ways to grade out defense and he's like really bad in two of them and really good in the other and it's like i don't i genuinely don't know which is i know it, it makes it so hard particularly when you use uh, and i think everybody almost everybody voting or talking about mvp uses war on some level and the war calculation with him is like basically do you believe in his defense and the, fangrass for instance does not so it's like uh who knows man yeah i'd be i'd honestly be curious about like the braves they would never pull back the curtain like this, but what their internal numbers look like on on Austin. Because... They, might, they might tell you, but they, you, then you couldn't share it with me. <laughs> everyone, <laughs> I doubt that. But I, but like everyone you everyone you hear from, whether it's Alex, whether it's you know Ron Washington, any of his teammates, like everyone's been so impressed by the strides that he has made defensively and what he does over there. And you know, I think, and maybe it's just because like luck of the draw, but I feel like he's made so many just game-ending defensive plays. Um, you know, it, I think he's been really solid over there. All of that to say, um, I can understand where if you watch the Braves a lot, uh, Austin pops out at you. He's been solid uh, over there. He's put up the power numbers. He's come up with some big hits. Um, I get all of that. At the same time, I have been playing this like fun game in my head, wondering, and I think it's going to happen because Freddie and Ozzy are kind of running up against it. But I've been wondering if we are going to reach the end of this 2021 season and Ronald Acuna Jr. still leads the team in wins above replacement. On, because... on fan, on fan because baseball reference, he's already been passed by by, by, by Riley. I looked, I looked uh, this up. Yes, but, exactly. So yes. a little bit different. I was going to say, on fan war, like, that is shocking to me as it is. But I will say, like, it's just not, when you look at the total MVP race, I'm actually surprised that Freddie's even in the top three. Um, I just, I, I can't, I can't put Austin in that next category of player. Um, and honestly, like, I, I do think that it's probably going to be, um, you know, whether it be Harper, Tatis, like, I just, I think the frustrating thing for me is knowing that if you get a full season of Ronald, he runs oh. away, he runs away with this award. He was, like, he was almost, I mean, you never want to say he's definitely going to win, but I mean, he, he was a very, very large favorite to win when he went. Honestly, it was like him and DeGrom when he went down. Yeah. Because DeGrom had been so absurd. But yeah, I think position player-wise, he was well ahead of the field and probably would have stayed that way. Yeah. So, I mean, I look right now and Bryce Harper's near the top of that list, Tatis Jr., um, Trey Turner. Uh, I think a lot of people need to get over the fact that you can't be on a team that's not a winner. I think you know, it's, that's baseball. It's, it's, it's very difficult to kind of uh, run up against that sort of traditional way of thinking about these things. But um, no, I, I, I texted you this the other day when we were talking about this. I think Ronald, Tatis, and Soto are the best players in the National League. And unless like someone just runs away with it, um, you know, whether, you know, whatever, whoever it else may be, but like, you have to like convince me that Tatis, Soto, or Ronald aren't the most valuable players in the league. And right now, Tatis has only played 110 games, and he still has a 5.4 WAR. Um, you know, I, I think I lean towards him at the moment. Um, I, I don't think by any means like there's one runaway winner in either league. Uh, well, I, let me say this: Otani is the runaway winner, but I don't think there's any runaway winner here in the National League yet. Um, I just I I can't put Riley in that. I could see him getting top five votes yeah. just because, but like 
I cannot see him being put in that next level, that next tier of player. Yeah, I think if he finishes relatively strong, he will get at least one, you know, top three, four, five vote, um, and, and, and more than that probably. Um, I agree with you though; he's not going to win unless he just goes absolutely nuts in the next twenty games, which is possible, I suppose. But if you look at the numbers, I mean, just objectively speaking, Harper and Tatis have kind of been in their own category as hitters this year in the National League. I think Juan Soto is catching up to that because Juan Soto's OBP is four fifty four right now, which is just insane uh but harper i mean i know brace fans hate harper but harper's been very 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 good this year and then tatis uh on a per plate appearance basis has probably been the best player he's missed some games but has he's still leading the league in home runs like pretty comfortably despite playing 110 games um so those two guys i think and if you look at the odds which aren't everything but tatis is a pretty big favorite in the odds right now and then you get into like i think freeman is not doesn't really have a case either but he's up there because of name recognition. He was the MVP last year, of course. He's also on a good team, as is Riley. But um, nationally, if you go outside the Braves bubble, people know who Freeman is and maybe not, maybe don't know who Riley is a whole lot. Um, and betting odds, that also matters. Um, quickly, before we move on, do you would you even consider one of the pitchers, namely uh, Zach Wheeler or Corbin Burns? Because if you look at, the, if you look at war, uh, both Burns and Wheeler have higher F4 than any hitter in the National League, and, we, and Wheeler leads the entire league in baseball reference war, too. So Wheeler currently is uh, number two in Fangraphs war and number one in baseball reference war among all players in the National League. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying that this is the right philosophy, but for me, um, a pitcher has to really, really separate themselves, and I think we have seen it in past I years. But I, I think if it's close, um, I still lean position player, yep. and – I, I, I do I do want to at least throw out throw this out there that I think there's this false conception that you know if a guy's not an everyday player it doesn't count um, you know if you look at actual plate appearances affected so if you look at total batter's face versus plate appearances a lot of the elite pitchers are you know facing 600 700 guys in a season whereas the batter is not hitting that many times um, so I do think they affect the same or more. Uh, number of plate appearances, uh, maybe not games total, but when that pitcher takes the rubber, you know, he's facing every single guy. Um, so I, I will say that it's not absurd for pitchers to be in the conversation when just because they're not everyday players. Um, but I just don't think, and, and Burns and Wheeler have been so good this year, but I think you need to be a DeGrom type dominant runaway pitcher. Um, and still, like, it would need to be a season where maybe like this, where there isn't a clear-cut runaway position player. Yeah. Um, it, it, I just – I don't see it being this year as as that situation, but it's not absurd to think that a guy, you know, a dominant pitcher like DeGrom can do something like that to me. Yeah, I think you and I are in lockstep there. Uh, by the way, FanDuel has Wheeler at 250-1. to one. Uh, mm. That's a lot, and I think I might bet on him at that number. Uh, he's not going to – he's not, he's not going to win. Uh but DeGrom, I do think, was in a pretty real place to potentially win it when he went down. Um, obviously, it's a small sample size, but 15 starts, he had a 1.08 ERA. Like, he is still, uh, this is kind of like Ronnie, but almost even more extreme. DeGrom is still third in Fangraph's warm on pitchers. He had, and he, and he's, <laughs> he's thrown half of the innings of Wheeler and Burns. So, uh, that's how good he was. Regardless, uh, I think we want, I mean, again, I, I know you said it, and we've said it. Riley's had an awesome year. Um, Definitely. I, I personally would 
take Freddie just like by an ounce over Riley in an, in a team MVP discussion. But if you want to say Riley's MVP of the, of the Braves, I have no problem with that. Like he's been extremely good all year long, and his his hottest time of the year probably was like coinciding with the Braves' hot streak, which which also I think plays into it. But um, those two guys, and then uh, you know Ozzy as a strong third, um, and along with maybe even Charlie Morton. Um, I was about, I was about to say, isn't it weird that? Ozzy's never mentioned in that. Oh, I mean, I I try my best to like preach about Ozzy whenever possible. Like, this is, I know people are going to hate this, but Ozzy still leads Riley in a Fangrass war right now. Uh, I think that's because of defense almost exclusively. But uh, Ozzy's had a, not even like a huge Ozzy year, honestly. I think he's almost better than he's been this year. I think he might even be below my baseline for him. And he's still like a top 20 guy in the National League in Fangrass war. Uh, Like, he's really, really good. Like I yeah, he is still he really, wildly he really struggled. He really struggled when they moved to leadoff. He's kind of settled in now, but he had that really rough stretch uh, yep. when Ronald went down. They moved him up, and uh, you know he was probably my guy that I probably would have moved into that spot, and he didn't take to it very well. Um, his his numbers like career and leadoff spot are like very bad. I don't, I don't, I don't, know. Know. I don't, I don't know what it is about that spot, but he just can't. I mean, I don't want to say can't. He hasn't done it in that spot, especially in the first inning. It feels like when he rolls back around, he's like. He's fine. Like again, he hit another he hit another home run today. Like I think he's he's hitting like tanks of the last few weeks. Uh, he just doesn't get on base as much as you would want. He's kind of like Dansby, where it's like you just really hope that as they mature as hitters and you know keep growing, that they get on base more. Um, but you know, Ozzy, we know Ozzy's an aggressive hitter. He's going to swing the bat. Um, it just it doesn't seem to work out quite as well as you would hope. But that 2019 season, he had 350 OBP, and now it's in the you know 312 uh, realm, which is not where, uh, not the 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 way that you want to be going. But still, I, I'm with you. I think Ozzy is one of the best second basemen in all of baseball. I think he's I think he is the best second oh, baseman so I, I in Braves history. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I'm not going to argue on on that. I will say that he's. De- I think he's by far and away the best second baseman in Braves history. And he's just going to keep pulling away from that crew. Uh, for the does, next does that does that one Brett Brun season count when he <laughs> hit like 100 home runs um, on every Possibly. substance imaginable? Probably, but uh, anyway, uh, no, uh, we we agree on Ozzy. Uh, Ozzy, the fact that he has 28 home runs is just it's insane. I mean, you've stood next to him, I stood next to him. Ozzy's like five six, like, and him him hitting 28 home runs in the major leagues is just wild. Anyway, um, we'll get away from that. But uh, shouts to everyone we just mentioned, Ozzy. Uh, Austin, Freddie for being awesome this year, and then you throw in Morton and those guys, and that's why the Braves have been good this year for the most part. Um, All right, before we get out of here, the Braves lead by four and a half games, of course. They have 20 games remaining. I said this on Twitter, but I'll say it to you. If the Braves go 10-10, and which is below their baseline, obviously, if they go 500 the rest of the way, they'll have 86 wins, and Philly would have to go 14-5 and to tie. So, essentially, the Braves just need to not be terrible the rest of the way. Now, not a given by any means, but uh, that is that is situation right now. All the projections have the Braves like in the mid '80s, high '80s to win the division at this point in time. Uh, does that sound right to you? That's the sort of question I always ask to Scott and Eric at the end of the podcast. Does that projection number like mid '80s sound right to you for the division right now? Yeah, I, I would I would say that uh, this is probably me being a homer, but like I think it feels even a little low. Um, but yeah, I mean I, that seems about right. Again, like you look at everything that Philly has been doing um, they, they haven't taken advantage of, you know, 
any time that the Braves have scuffled, Philly hasn't really gone on that run. This weekend, um, man. <laughs> yeah. The, the Phillies losing three of four at home to the Rockies, and the Rockies have been dreadful on the road all year. Like, that might have killed the Phillies. I mean, I, I'm, yep. not saying, I'm not saying it did, but if, you, if, they, if they lose this thing by three games, they're going to point to that in a big Right. Game. And that's that's kind of where I'm coming from is, like, I, I think mid-80s is, is about a perfect number because nothing is guaranteed for this team. They still have to make, you know, they still have to take care of their business. But I look at things like Philly just getting, you know, bulldozed by the Diamondbacks. And oh. it's like, you know what I mean? Like, you go like 0-4 or one, whatever it was, like 1-5 against the Diamondbacks. And I'm like, how am I supposed to buy into the fact that this team is, you know, going to push, you know, in, in a race of four-and-a-half game deficit? Um, not to say that can't happen. You know, that three-game series that they have against each other here in Atlanta is going to be big. Um, I think, as, to your point, as long as Atlanta – is taking care of business yet again against the sub 500 teams. And I'm circling that road trip, that four game series against the diamondbacks. Um, as long as they don't pull a Philly in Arizona and start doing weird things down the stretch. Um, yeah. I think they're, you know, they're a safe bet at right around that 85% mark. Yeah. This, the schedule is, you know, it was famously favorable for the Phillies, but that included the series that they just lost to yeah. the Rockies. Um, the Phillies still, as of right now, have the easiest schedule remaining in the entire Major League Baseball. Um, but, you know, if the, Bra- the Braves actually have an easier than average schedule as well, according to Tankathon and the winning percentage stuff. They still play Arizona four times. They play the Rockies at home three times. Um, it's not a disaster schedule for the Braves. Uh, Phillies is easier, but when you have a four-and-a-half game lead with 20 games to go, that's not that big of a deal. And, you know, no one wants the Braves to go 10-10 and 10 on the stretch. But if you start doing the math on it, if the Braves go – you know, 12 and 8, which they are probably favored to do, something like that. 11 and 9, 12 and 8 is probably their projected number in most places. If they do that, then it becomes even harder for Philly to catch them and the Mets to catch them because, you know, projection wise, like 538 has them at 87 wins. That means 11 and 9 the rest of the way. If they do that, like, the number goes up to probably closer to like 95% because then Philly has to finish, you know, 16 and 3 to pass them, which is not impossible, but not likely. Yeah, and again, like I, I get that Philly's schedule is favorable, but I think it's they're still like baseball. Thir- <laughs> I mean, well, it's still baseball, but I think they're like thirty-eight and thirty-three against sub five hundred teams. So they're not that they're, good. I mean, that, I mean, yeah. famous last words, of course. Like we're not trying to jinx anything, but the the Phillies are just not that good. I mean, they have a negative run differential. Like taking things right. back to the beginning of the conversation, this is not a team that profiles as one that's going to suddenly reel off a 16 out of 18 run. They just, yeah, they can we, do we it. are, we are a thousand percent jinxing it, but I'm just yeah. throwing it out there that like, I'm knocking on wood. That's all. If you're asking, if you're asking me to like believe in this Philly team, the, the sub, you know, the negative run differential, the basically going 500 against sub 500 teams. Like I kind of look at that stuff and I'm like, all right, so I, how am I supposed to just believe in this team all of a sudden, whereas the Braves, while they have struggled, they're 28 and 36 against good teams, 28, 36 against 500 teams, uh, above 500 teams, like the Braves just have run roughshod yet again against bad teams. And that's, you know, if you're telling me the Phillies schedule is weak, then they, they need to turn that thing around and start really uh, to mop up against some of that weaker schedule. And again, erasing a four and a half game deficit with 20 games to go is not easy. Uh, no. the, Bra- the Braves have put themselves in a really good position. Yeah, they're in a great spot. And this is not, I'm not saying this is going to happen, but if you do them, just from a pure math and probability perspective, it is more likely that the Braves implode than it is that Philly goes out and finishes 17-2. and two. 
You know what I mean? Um, the the Braves going seven and thirteen is a much more likely outcome than Philly just lighting the world on fire the rest of the way. Like, so if you're worried about anything, it's you should be worried about the Braves taking care of their business more so than Philly because of just what Philly appears to be on paper. Like anybody can have a hot streak; it can happen. But I I personally would be much more concerned about the Braves not doing their part and i'm not even that concerned about that i mean I, i'm the braves are a good spot we just talked about that i'm just saying like my deep atlanta sports brain is like okay <laughs> here comes here comes six and 14 um i don't really believe that but that's like it's in there somewhere <laughs> somebody somebody will 1000 percent clip that that three minute piece out of this podcast if things implode and be like you idiots oh yes uh, e- either either a a mad braves fan who hates who hates the podcast because we're not positive enough or a phillies podcast will post we'll have one of those clips pulled and tweet and uh, you're, a social, will, you're a social media guy don't 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 give anybody any anybody any ideas on that because i'm gonna throw it out there this was a pretty positive podcast the braves are a good team between me and good... you me and yeah. you doing a podcast for an hour uh this was quite positive i think yeah they have a good team they have a lot of good players uh we talked about some of the the hiccups but honestly so many of the braves like you know and we can end on this but like so many of their like why we're talking about the bullpen why we're talking about you know, some of these, you know, bigger pieces is because I think our brains are kind of thinking, you know, postseason, what does this look like? Um, yep. It's not, it's not, are they going to, is this bullpen going to blow the series against the Rockies? Um, it's more of like, what does this look like in postseason baseball? And do they have the pieces to replicate or go further, further than they or go farther than they did last year? Um, and I think that's why we have these conversations and, and kind of nitpick the roster is not because it's a bad team by any means. It's because we're curious if, if this team is going to keep, you know, pushing that next level when it comes playoff time. And I think, you know, they've given us every reason to believe that they're going to be playing postseason baseball again. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I think we've sort of transitioned um, whether willfully or not um, during the hot streak or maybe after the hot streak to like talking about, I mean, we're still talking about the season, but also, thinking more about October than we were when they were, you know, four games back. Because they it wasn't that long ago. I know you know this, but it was not that long ago when they were four games back in the division. Things flipped very, very quickly. Very <laughs> like, quickly. Very quickly, by baseball standards in particular. It was like a two-week stretch where essentially the entire season changed um, on the dime. So, yeah. yeah I, think, I, I think jinxing it would be me and you talking about who's your game three starter. And I don't think we're there yet. I'm going to wait like two more weeks, <laughs> and then we'll have an exhaustive – uh, Ian Anderson versus whoever else uh, battle conversation between Scott and I or Eric and I or something, I'm, or maybe you and I will do it offline. But uh, yeah, that might that might happen. Uh, and listen, Ian Anderson to bring things full circle, nine strikeouts this weekend to uh, silence my uh, overwhelming doubt from the last podcast. So shouts to Ian Anderson. <laughs> Yeah, he, know, he still knows how to miss bats. It's a good thing. That's a, that's a good thing. Uh, all right, Zach. Well, thanks for joining me, man. Uh, give me all this time. Please plug whatever you got going on, which I know is just like all social media things for the Bally Empire. Um, what's going on over there? Yeah, all things social for sure. Uh, we do have something coming up uh, with ATL Prospects Week. So that'll be going on the starting the week of the 20th. So feel free to, but, uh, to, to follow along with that. I might even include some of the talking chop crew in that mix but we have a lot of stuff coming in but honestly you're right uh kind of marching down to the playoffs for this braves team uh yeah you can follow everything we're doing at braves on valley and uh hopefully we're keeping it fun entertaining over there and uh yeah we'll keep it moving braves on valley folks i'm not sure anyone listening to this podcast is not already following that account but if they're not they should be uh, you tweet personally like once a month if that so uh it's a fact 
I mean, people should be following you anyway. I always enjoy when you tweet. It's like you have a high success ratio, I feel like, when you tweet. I'm more of a volume tweeter than you are, which I, uh, you know, I'll, I'll own that. But uh, in general, thank you, my friend, for doing this. Yeah, no problem. You're like more of a Monta Ellis type tweeter. You know, I'm it's, just kind of like, I'm the I'm the corner three-point shooter that just everyone leaves open because it's not important. It's very funny because in uh, my basketball, as you well know, my basketball appreciation is like not volume scorer guy, but yet I tweet a lot. So maybe it's that, <laughs> maybe I'm trying to fulfill that, uh, that gap a little bit. Anyway, well, thanks to Zach. Uh, everybody should be following him. If, he's not already, if you're not already doing that, please rectify that. Also follow this podcast at Talking Shop and click that subscribe button on the platform of your choice, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all those places we should be there. We'll see you next time.